All right, everybody, welcome to the 96th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon, and my God, dog. I was playing 2K with my crew, Mike Gonzalez. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Every time we do our intro, the first thing is, I've been playing 2K. Or did you hear about this time on 2K when I sunned this dude? I swear to God, every time we intro, it is about 2K. This is a negative aspect of Mount Mike play, dog. Negative. You might have a problem. I So I was playing with my crew, Mike Gonzalez, who asked us a question, and my homeboy, Ja, and I could not hit it. I, could, I went one for eight in the game, and that type of coldness only matched like I, I have never been that cold. So coming into this, I'm ready to dominate. I'm ready to dominate from jump, yo. Because if my 2K game ain't right, you know the podcast game has to be tight as fuck. Well, we had to bring in um, a third guy to help us complete our three-on-three team. So uh, you already know who it is. It, it's Evan M. Evan McCarthy, uh, longtime guest, uh, one of our favorites to have on the show. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, thank you for having me. That's a very, very polite intro. And Sage, I will challenge you at 2K. I haven't played the last basketball video game I've played, honestly. It might be the Kobe Bryant Nintendo 64 game. What was that called? Courtside? Yeah, yes. Courtside. <laughs> Do you think I stand a chance if I played you just right now? Straight if up. If you were the Warriors and I was the Nets, I would sun you. I oh. would bet my life savings on sage <laughs> well, you'd have to okay th- yeah fine you'd have to give me points you'd have to give me like 20 points i don't know we can figure this out later but i am challenging you now so we'll figure oh, this man. out yeah I, I mean i've won i've won two video uh 2k tournaments in the last in the last two months doug I, i'm feeling i'm feeling tight with my 2k game just not tonight it was very very bad so, but. are you saying that people can have bad nights because the Blazers have been having a couple of those <laughs> Yo, well, uh, if, lately? If, if I can have a bad night in 2K, my guy, anybody can have two bad nights. Because coming home off of a 4-1 and one road trip, Portland has laid uh, two duds. And they've looked uninspiring for, I would say, 80-85% to 85% of the time, losing 103-91 at home against the Bucks. Don't let that score fool you. It was way out of hand and it was out of hand early on in the second half and to your pelicans without anthony davis 123 116 again score was not indicative of, of how that game was just controlled by the pelicans from really the end of the second quarter all the way through really the last three minutes of the fourth quarter and so guys we're going to kind of switch up the flow of the the episode uh, a little bit today because we obviously lost those games. Um, no need to really go into a lot of stats. More just, what did you guys think of the two games? Why is this happening? And to throw a little uh, kindling on the fire, Jason Quick tweeted out after the New Orleans game that Yusuf Nurkic essentially told him they were overconfident after coming home 4-1 and one on the road with wins coming against Memphis without Mike Conley, Brooklyn, Washington without John Wall and the Knicks where they scored, I think, 
13 points in the fourth quarter, taking six minutes to get their first points on the board. Oh, and we lost to 20 to Philadelphia. So not really a reason to be overconfident, yet they were. What do we make of this? Yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, this whole season we've kind of been struggling, obviously, to find consistency um, but especially consistency with like a third score. Uh, you know, I went back and looked at those games. It was interesting that the Milwaukee and Pelicans game that we did two home games we dropped, I wasn't able to watch. Uh, I, I watched them at a bar type situation, so I couldn't hear the commentary and just, which I kind of recommend for people to do sometimes, just get out and like see it where you, you only can look at the eye test and you, you can't listen to what's going on. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said, they, didn't look inspired. Um, we're gonna. I know we're gonna get into it a little bit later, but it it seems like CJ is kind of struggling um, right now, and I've I've kind of looked into that more. But we can get into that more later. But uh, let let's get into that right now, Evan, because we have a great promotion going on for tonight's episode. Um, you were generous enough to donate one of your prints up to the 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 fan that brought the most heat with their question. And I think let's kind of sprinkle these in throughout the podcast, you know, kind of as we see them um, coming to life. And so the first one, I think a lot of people are kind of wondering, uh, Kim Thrasher wants to know, anyone else wondering what's up with CJ? Maybe him and Dame are taking turns with the slump. So go into, uh, go into CJ. I know you both had takes on CJ coming into tonight's episode that you were seeing certain things. I want to see if they're kind of aligning with each other. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go first. When I when I was looking at it tonight before, you know, right before we got on the pod, um, it, so I noticed, again, the eye test. When I'm watching the games, it looks like something's off with CJ. And it, it looks like he's just having poor games, but what's hurting him is that he's having poor games in, and then it's reflecting in bad losses. So, like, you know, every, everyone has bad games from time to time, and if you win, then it's not as big of a deal. But I, I noticed that when I went and looked it up like a nerd – um, this year's seat. No, it, well, it's an interesting stat. And, and so this season, CJ has scored under 20 points nine times in those games. We're two and seven. So what that tells me is we are, are the success of our team kind of goes with how CJ goes because right now we don't really have a consistent third slash four option. You know, Nurk has inconsistent nights too. Um, it looks like. And then, and then to contra- uh, contrast that stat for Dame, when Dame scores under twenty, we're three and three. So obviously, not as it's not great, but it's not as bad. So I think yeah. with this team, we kind of go as far as CJ goes. So when he struggles, it really, really hurts us. Yeah, because Dame is much more of a facilitator. He can get you eight to ten dimes. CJ's never gonna get you really more than five dimes in the game. He is a pure score, certified bucket getter. That's his objective when he's on the court. Dame really does a good job of, I think, initiating the offense, knowing when he has to score and when he has to set up his teammates. So that stat really doesn't surprise me. Um, I looked at their game logs, and I think it's only happened three times this year where Dame and CJ have scored 25-plus. It was at Washington, at Brooklyn, and then early on in the season at Milwaukee. It's no surprise we were 2-1 and one in those games and could have won that Milwaukee game. But what stands out to me is through 25 games, I know we played 26, but CJ was suspended for that opener. So through 25 games, that's only happened three times where they have both scored 25-plus. 
for a backcourt that wants to be considered the second best, even the best backcourt in the league, and with really an inconsistent third scorer, Portland needs those guys to get rolling. And uh, I know the length of the Bucks and other teams with length give them problems, but if we're going to roll with these guys as the faces of our franchise, they need to find a way to get on the same page. And I don't have the stats, but since CJ really came to prominence during that Memphis series in 2015 and all throughout his most improved player campaign the following season, it seems like the times that he and Dame are just clicking together are few and far between. It's usually one or the other. And I think for this kind of marriage to work really long term, they're both going to have to figure out a way to both get it going. And, you know, we've seen it a couple times when they get it rolling that we're unstoppable. And, you know, that's where you see like a, a Paul and Harden, a Thompson and Curry. Those guys are clicking more times than not. I think we need to see our two big guns really take control of the game and shoot efficiently and effectively because I think everyone feeds off of that. And if one of them is cold, it just seems like we don't have enough consistency from other players to make up for our star having having an off night. And I think that's why we're you know fluttering around 500 for the year. So my what I think it, it is wrong with CJ is definitely related to what both of you guys are saying. But what what I've seen, especially in that New Orleans game, is Dame, Dame knows that we're, we've been struggling and he's been more ball dominant. He's been shooting more. He's had, had the ball in his hands more. And I, I think CJ sees that. And it's kind of like, if I don't shoot this shot now, when am I going to get the ball? So we're not running our offense because Dame's doing hero ball most of the time. So when CJ gets it, he shoots it. So it's a lot of bad shots. And then people know what CJ McCollum is. So they're playing him tighter and more efficiently. So I, I, I think... When we start having some some success and Dame starts playing within the offense, CJ's numbers will get better. Like, I, I want Dame to play within the offense for 44 minutes, and then in the last four, we might need him to do the Dame time stuff, but we don't need him to do it in the in, in the third quarter. See, that that's odd, because that, I think the beauty of this is we're seeing different things. I'm seeing CJ playing more of the hero ball when he's getting it, it's four or five dribbles, and he's trying to shake someone, and he's throwing up a contested jumper. There were times during the uh, New Orleans game where I yelled from the 300 level, pass the ball, CJ. He wasn't in a rhythm. He wasn't hot, and he was just ISOing the shit out of that basketball. And I love CJ McCollum. I think he's a fabulous basketball player, but he doesn't get to the line enough to warrant I mean, he's only shot over five free throws twice this season. He's not really that solid finishing around the rim. He hasn't nailed Dame's kind of magician-like ability to finish. He seems like he gets blocked more times than not. So it's really ending up to be a jumper. And whether we, he is a fantastic shooter. Stats have shown he's one of the greatest shooters that the game has in, in, right now. But the jumper is the, the shot that is the least efficient in basketball. And, so, and New Orleans, good. with what they do defensively, they can defend a guy dribbling the ball five times and then shooting. That is something that they are totally willing and able to defend the shit out of. What happened? Yeah. Like, if he was running off the ball, it would have been a totally different story. He would have hit so many open jumpers because New Orleans, like 
a lot of other teams don't know how to defend off ball. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then Dustin, you touched on something that I agree with totally too about the past few years. It's CJ's kind of been pitched as a, he can play backup point guard when mm-hmm. I don't think that he is a point guard at all. And I think earlier in the season, we saw that Terry made an adjustment. When we first started the season, Dame would come out in the first quarter, midway through the first quarter. Uh, or no, Dame would come out, CJ would come out midway through the first quarter. Dame would play pretty much the whole first quarter. And then the second quarter, it would be Evan Turner and CJ kind of sharing the point guard duties. And we all quickly realized that that doesn't work. Like early in the season, the Blazers really struggled in the second quarter. And that's why we've seen an emergence of Shabazz because he is like a natural point guard. And in CJ, CJ's not a point guard. He's like, like you said, Dustin, he's one of the best shooters right now in the NBA. But the other thing that makes him so special is that as opposed to some other shooters that are just good pure shooters is that CJ has an incredible handle and can get his own shot. Um, but just right now it's, it, it doesn't seem like it's very efficient for him. And so you brought up a great point about the second quarter and when Dame is off the floor. I've been paying close attention to that in recent games because it has seemed to me that when we have CJ and it really started clicking to me in that fourth quarter against the Knicks, we were up 26 points going into the fourth. Turner and CJ started out and CJ wasn't able to carry the offense. I don't know if it's because he's just slumping. Um, His mom called him and said, hey, the jumper's looking flat. He said he was going to go into the lab and look at film and see what was up. But he hasn't been that guy that we need. So if Dame's getting a rest, he's he's the number one option. He's the alpha. And we haven't really seen that from him this year. He's had a couple of games, especially that wizard performance, where he put the team on his back and was able to carry us to victory during that late stretch in the fourth. But maybe it's the personnel surrounding CJ that that is the problem. Because as you mentioned, Evan, he is not a point guard. He has only uh, five or more assists one time this year. He averages two turnovers to 2.3 assists on the season, which is a terrible ratio. So he is a straight shooting guard, but he doesn't function well with Evan Turner. Evan Turner is at his best when he is dribbling, backing down, and shooting over a smaller defender, which unfortunately isolates the other four members of of the roster. And you have have Napier, who is a better job at facilitating, but as much as I love Shabazz, he he still is a shoot-first point guard, and we have seen more success with Shabazz there. But I'm almost wondering, are we not setting CJ up for success in that second unit? Do we need a guy like, obviously not Chris Paul, but just a pass-first point guard who is going to run an offense and say, CJ, you're going to go off off this curl, you know, run, you just run these plays to get him going off ball. So he doesn't have to score with the ball in his hands. So frequently, I think more movement on the ball and the player side is only going to make CJ's life easier, but the team's life easier. I think just too much lately, we've seen Stotts go to ISO heavy plays and, it's just not the the Stotts offense that we saw, especially in 2014 um, when we had that run with, with Batum and West when they were playing off the ball. And in stretches, it, it's been fabulous. But in other stretches, it's been like, oh, my God, can we quit playing hot potato and you know three-man weave at the top of the key? So I think there are a lot of keys and underlying factors that have played a part in CJ's kind of inconsistent start to the season. I got a question for both of you. All right, let's pretend it's NBA 2K. What kind of <laughs> archetypes? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's the perfect simulation. In the second unit, you have CJ McCollum. What kind of archetype of players do you want surrounding him in that second unit? 
to be I the most efficient need, for CJ McCollum? I think you need a couple things. I think you need a big who is able to set massive screens to get him him freed up. I think a, a big who can set screens is reg- amazing to have in the offensive scheme, regardless of who you're trying to scout for or get get buckets for. Um, a point guard with great vision, so a guy like Alonzo Ball, who's just strictly out there to get guys open, get them in get them in the proper position. They know where they like the ball. And then I think another shooter. You always have to have additional shooters on the the floor, so the defense can't just key in on other players. I just think those three factors would make his life easier. And if you look at it right now, we we, we just don't have that other shooter on the court. I mean, Pat's always in the offense at the beginning, but he's never in that second unit with CJ. Um, we just haven't seen enough from Harkless to really call him that shooter. Um, so like Davis. Du- Amo? Davis does set some, yeah. Davis does set pretty good picks, but I, I just I think we're, we're lacking the shooter and the distributor. Like we do see a better uptick in CJ's performance when he's out there with Baz instead of Turner. But if I see Portland run another fucking play where they drive and dish out to Evan Turner in the corner for a three, I'm gonna lose my hair because it yeah. just doesn't fucking work and it needs to stop. He is not a three point shooter and should not attempt a three point shot the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up great points, especially the point about the someone in the CJ that can set a pick where it would be really helpful if that person could pop and if CJ needs to, could hit them for like a 15 to 18 foot jumper, which we don't, we just don't have that right now in that second unit. And then to your point, Evan Turner is wide open at the three point line for a reason. And I understand, I understand when someone drives it and they kick on the ball, he's open you know, sometimes it, it, just because, just based on the fact that he's wide open, sometimes you just got to take that shot, but he shouldn't be. We should have someone else that should, that would be out there that can knock down that shot. Um, so yeah, I think that those two are probably the key for someone playing with CJ in the second unit. And to your point, Evan, I think CJ also has to do a better job of looking for that guy on the pick and pop. I think too many times he gets tunnel vision and defenses know that. And they jump out at him when they do do the pick and roll. They double team him because they know he's not going to make that pass to beat him. So I think CJ, while he is a shooting guard, I think could work on on his passing because if, even if he just becomes an adequate passer, he becomes that much more lethal. And the defense has to keep that into consideration when they are defending him. Absolutely. So I think this is a great segue into another question from Rip City Robin. She wants to know, we appear to have too many power forwards and not enough consistent shooting. Does Olshay make a trade before the deadline? And if so, who does he deal? So let's lay out all of the power forwards we currently have. I'm going to loop in Myers Leonard because he can play 4-5. You have Ed Davis, who is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Alfaru Kaminu can play power forward, and he has another year left on his contract after the season. Noah Vonley, the current starting power forward, is a restricted free agent, and we just drafted two rookies. Um, Zach Collins, who can go 4-5, and Caleb Swanigan, who is purely a power forward. So that is a shit ton of big men that Portland has, and they're not getting a lot of offensive production out of those players. So, Sage, Evan, do you expect any of them to get moved? And if so, what would an ideal we're talking about archetypes. What ideal characteristics of a player are we looking to get in return? I think, I think the only two tradable ones are Ed Davis and Amino. You don't want to. Noah Vonley is earning 
he's playing well, so he deserves to stay. And you're not going to trade your two rookie first-round picks unless you get your socks knocked off. And I don't think anybody's willing to knock the socks off the Blazers for two dudes that aren't really playing. So I, th- I think it's all about Ed Davis and Aminu. I think one of them should get traded. I know that each of them would fit in a roster and help that team compete. I just don't think many competing teams have a lot to give back to get Ed Davis or Aminu. So, I mean, if it was Ed, I don't know, maybe like a sort of undervalued player in a second-round pick. I'm not asking for much for Ed Davis. Chief might get a little bit more because you see the rebounding and the defensive efficiency. I'm not expecting him to get, like, a super usable player, but I expect, like, maybe a second, a super late first, something like that. Yeah, I mean, Sage, I think that you're dead on with a a lot of that. Obviously, with the two rookies, I don't think you want to trade them. And Olshay's not going to trade them because he's the one who drafted them. And Mm -hmm. you're not going to trade them one year in because those are his investments. And, you know, so I think that's out the window. Myers Leonard is not tradable, obviously. I think that Olshay tried to do everything he could this offseason to trade him. I don't think anyone wanted him. He's played better the past two games, which is awesome, but... Given his contract, no team is going to bite at that. Yeah, no, um, one, so no, yeah, one, I mean, no one wants to trade 9% of their cap space for a guy that got seven points. and that, yeah. That's not going to happen. No, not at all. And then it, it's tough with that, Davis, because he is valuable given his contract. The issue is that he is the one dude coming off the bench who does exactly – he's the one dude every single night who does exactly what he's asked to do, and he performs – and, and, you know, does it every single night. He goes in there and gets rebounds, plays defense, gets putbacks. So, it, I, I mean, you could trade Ed Davis. I, I wouldn't want to. Um, Noah Vonley, it'll be interesting to see, with him being a restricted free agent, what they do with Noah Vonley. I think he's played a lot better. Kind of like Ed Davis, where he's understood what his role is and is playing towards that. And then Aminu, Aminu's contract is actually a pretty good contract, yeah, given... Amen. Yeah, given the way he's been playing, um, he is one of our better defensive players. It's interesting that he was one of our better defensive players, and he's been out for quite a bit this season, and we didn't really miss a step on defense. I mean, we had a few slip-ups in some of those games, but um, overall, we still played pretty well defensively. Yeah, that it's... Being, yeah, that being said, maybe Aminu, if, if not, then I don't see a trade. I it's tough if, if it's tough if you're in, in Neil Walshay's shoes because... You're obviously not setting the world on fire with their current record at 13 and 10, and nothing would lead me to believe that they're about to go on a long winning streak. And you don't want to take on any additional salary. So if you're trading Ed Davis, it has to be for a pick. I don't think you're going to get another player at an expiring contract at a position of need. I just don't think that's really. And no realistic. one's trading small forwards for Ed Davis. And. Ed Davis fits in really well with the culture. So what I am actually leaning towards is keeping Ed Davis. He said he wants to stay here long-term. Dame loves him. He's a great locker room guy. He's one of our older guys, which gives us some veteran experience. Seeing the price tag on him in the summer, if you lose him to another team who overbids, I think you're okay with that scenario if you're Neil Olshay. However, if he wants to come back on a team-friendly contract, I say you have to do it because Mm. he's been one of our best bench players, and then it allows you to really look at Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan and say, Hmm, we have pretty good trade chips here. Do we want to uh, um, 
increase the improve the roster in other areas using these guys, knowing we have a rock solid player in Ed Davis, because right now no one is unseating Noah Vonley from that power forward spot. His defense to me is first team level, and I've been super impressed with him. I think he's just a couple of shots more per game away from developing into that um, really good, just solid player, like a Buck Williams type where you're going to get 12 and 10 from him in first team all defense production every single night. And when you have two guards that are going to shoot 30, 35 times, 40 times a night, you don't need a power forward who's going to take a bunch of shots. So I think, like Evan said, Noah's really bought into his role and so that kind of leaves, like you said, Aminu. I mean, he's such a vital part of the team, but he is on such a great contract. I think you could fetch a first-round pick for him. And the the values are just so low right now on Myers. And I know he's not a power forward, but even Mo Harkless to just give up. I mean, you're just not going to get anything back. So I think right now it's going to be a pretty quiet time for the Blazers unless they start playing better. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. You have to play better for your players to have better value, but do you risk trading them and disrupting chemistry and now all of a sudden you start playing worse? So not a very enviable position that our GM is in at the moment. All right, I got a question for both of you. If you were the coach and you knew that you weren't getting fired, would you play Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan some minutes a game? You go up first with the seven. If if I knew I wasn't going to get fired, yes. So what? The Blazers are thirteen and ten right now. I, I I just checked the standings after tonight's action. We're hovering on that four or five seed. Yeah. Well, um, how, so how are we still fourth? Like uh, this is another question. I have another did question. Minnesota lose tonight? Yeah. Yeah. I have no. another question right after this, but I just, just wanted to throw that out there. We're playing like dog shit, and we, we are still fourth. <laughs> so okay, keep going, F. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. No worries. Um. Given that, no, I wouldn't. I don't see any reason to do that. So if they if they play well, the the only person I could see them take minutes from is Myers. So if Myers has played well enough the past two games to like, why not play him eight to nine to ten minutes a game if he continues to do that? But the second you see to start see him start to slip again, I would have no problem playing one of the other two guys. No, Vonley has played really really well over the past few weeks, so I don't think that he warrants getting minutes taken from him and ed davis again he's the most consistent guy off the bench who does exactly what he's asked to do so no i don't i don't think if i were the coach knowing we're gonna be fired i still wouldn't try to push either one of them to, to crack the lineup as of right now yeah i have to agree with that and it's something i've been debating back and forth is you know do you play the young guys you know we're not getting much out out of davis offensively you know he's pretty much where we're at in terms of overall production for his career there's not a lot of potential left there but at the same time if you go out and you give Caleb Swanigan and Zach Collins minutes away from from Vonley and from Ed Davis and from Aminu what type of message are you sending to your team I think you lose your team at that point if you start giving those guys minutes because the other guys in that roster, in that locker room, they know how hard Ed Davis works. I mean, they, they see the production. So I think that would really be a slap in the face to them. And I, I think you might be risking losing your team. So you may not lose your job, but you might lose your team, which would be a lot worse. Uh, so I just don't think there's there's time right now for them unless one of them gets moved. Um, Swanigan, I would like to see get a little more time. And Zach Collins always here and there just to kind of get his feet wet. But Long term, I would be 
I would treat Zach Collins like one of those first round quarterbacks that that gets drafted. You you baby him. You do not throw him in the deep ocean um, into the deep end right away and say, hey, you're starting all 16 games. You put him in in scenarios where you think he's going to thrive. End of the games, maybe a favorable matchup. For Zach Collins, it is all about confidence and is all about strength. And strength is going to take a while and confidence can fluctuate with the bat of an eye. So you have to make sure you keep his confidence up and let him know he is an NBA player and get most of his reps in practice. So I think there is a little bit of a risk in just throwing him in there and saying, hey, Rook, have at it. And you're just going to get bullied every single night. And you do not want him to lose his his his, his self-worth. So the reason I asked this is, I watched a Spurs game where they, you know, they're competing for their playoff spot. I know they don't care about regular season like we do, but at the same time, you learn from Greg Popovich. He's the one transcendent coach. And then I see him play like David Bertrand's eight minutes a night, Brandon Paul, all of these young guys get this little bit about a time just to, just to get a little bit of that seasoning, just to get a little playing time. And then I look at us, and I look at New Orleans, the two teams I pay attention to, and it's like, Omer Ashik started over Czech Diallo. How the fuck does Omer do that? I would love to see what Czech could do. I would love to see what Zach Collins would do. We picked picked him 10th over real players. I want to see what they can do. Five minutes? Yeah, I think, I it, think that's it's a not totally going to kill different, us. No, I think it's a totally different question. It's not... Um... Yeah, we picked Zach Collins 10th, but that's a whole different question of, was Zach Collins a good pick at number 10? Might not have been that good of a pick at number 10. I mean, 10. he was not on my board at 10, and there was a few players I liked way more, but he, he is who we picked, and I want to see what the kid got in like five-minute spurts, where it's a plus matchup, and th- places where he can strive, but dude's chilling on the bench. I, I would like to see what he can do. Yeah, with, I, uh, real quick, with that... Again, if Myers Leonard slips, I think he could get there. Because, um, you know, they, whenever I see Myers Leonard play and he plays pretty well, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking they're just doing this because they want to try to build any value so they can move him. And I don't know if that's true or not. I think sometimes um, I, I think we all wish that. But if Myers starts to slip, I think I think Zach Collins knows being picked 10th in this draft and coming into this team that there, it, he's going to get a shot eventually. Like he's going to get time. You don't waste a 10th pick on a guy like this. And then just let him sit on the bench. So I just don't think that time is now. And you all know I'm not the biggest Terry Stotts fan. But to his his to his defense and to his credit, he's been playing 10, 11 guys a night. And we are the most loaded at the 4-5. So Sage, to your point about Popovich dabbling here and there with guys, frankly, there's only 40, 48 minutes in a basketball game. And we only have so many forwards that we can play. So I think it's it's strictly a numbers game. At this point, but I wanted what I was getting to with your question, Evan, is Portland is 13 and 10. We are still somehow fourth in the Western Conference, and it is looking more and more like 50 wins may be enough to get home court advantage in the playoffs, which is pretty ridiculous. My question is, is the Western Conference overrated absolutely i said that in the start of, it's a collection of highly talented players there's no teams except the top three i guess there's no teams it's just i think jimmy yeah, butler I, and cat it's not a team yet they're not teams yet so yeah it, the west I is overrated it, i think it's partially that um the west obviously is top heavy the, the top three teams in the west are so the top three uh houston golden state san antonio are a plus teams 
But when you look at the other teams and Portland has benefited off this so far this year is that there's been a lot of injuries, mm-hmm. like kind of key injuries to some of these teams that are supposed to be fighting for that five through eight seed. Um, obviously Blake Griffin's out. Uh, Anthony Davis has been in and I know he just, just got hurt. Rudy Gobert, um, Paul Millsap. Paul, Millsap, Paul Millsap's out. Mike Conley for Memphis got hurt when they were actually decent at the beginning of the year. Um, so yeah, I do think it's 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 partially overrated, partially the injury bug has hit some of these teams, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I I lean towards the overrated part because yes, Rudy Gobert is hurt, but the Jazz at seven eight, that's where I had him. Uh, New Orleans eight, I had them seven or eight as well. So you look at teams, um, the Clippers, obviously that was a team devastated by injuries. I didn't have them in the playoffs. Oklahoma City had them up at third, and they are ten and twelve. Yes, I know they had pieces to incorporate and I thought it would take possibly even through the new year for them to to gel but I wouldn't have ever imagined that they would be two and nine on the road and outside of the playoffs a quarter of the season a quarter of the way through the season um and I just look at teams like like Denver and Minnesota and I'm like you guys aren't as good as a lot of people thought, and I know Paul Millsap is hurt, so Denver's playing a little bit above expectations. But especially a team like Minnesota, I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think they're right now a, a huge threat out west. And I think it, it's top heavy with Houston and Golden State. Word still out, I think, on San Antonio. I still want to see how they look long term with Kawhi. Um, they've always been a great regular season team, so we'll see what's there. But I, I think I've been more impressed with the Eastern Conference. I know that's a little bit blasphemous, but you've got a team in Milwaukee who I think is much better than their 12 and 10 record. The Sixers are fun as hell and nobody's going to want to play them in the first round. The Pistons are having a just a huge rejuvenation year, adding in Avery Bradley. Andre Drummond's reverted back to his sophomore self. Um, and then you've got Cleveland finally flipping the switch and Boston um, kind of taking charge. But the East, I, I think it's a combination of the East being better than we thought and the West maybe being a little bit older than than we really wanted to um, give credit to at the beginning of the season. So I think we're starting to see a little bit of cracks out West and the East is starting to rise. So everyone pushing for that just overall 16 seed playoff might have to hold off on that because I think the East in a couple of years is going to be that power conference. Let's get into a, another question. We've got one from Chase, one of our longtime listeners. He wants to know, why doesn't this team throw more lobs with guys like Ed and Noah? Uh, what is Noah's ceiling? Uh, oh, he, he's got quite a, quite a bit. So let's just start with this first one and kind of get through these. So why doesn't the team throw more lobs? You know, obviously, we're, we're not the Clippers with, with Lob City, but uh, what's up with that, guys? I mean, couldn't you imagine Evan Turner being pretty good at throwing lobs to the cutting – Big or even Pat Connaughton would catch a lob or two. He's got some hops. There are players that we definitely could throw oops to. I think the reason we don't is because our team's pretty sporadic and that throwing an oop is a high risk thing. Yeah, it works sometimes, but a lot of the times it would be bobbled. It's extra injury. I think it's just because low IQ players, you don't want to risk that extra turnover. I think we could throw more lobs. If you guys remember Marcus Camby, probably circa 2010, he used to be just murder at the elbow, throwing lobs to Batum, like left and right to LA, working that high-low. 
Nurk and Connaughton have started to develop quite a chemistry. I think we just need to put the ball in the big fella's hands away from the basket, let him face up and, and make some decisions. That nutmeg against the Pelicans was beautiful. Um, and I think our guards could do a better job of just throwing it up there a bit. Vonley can go fucking get it. So um, I, I think Portland needs to take a little bit more risk. We, we don't run the break at all. We don't get easy buckets. And when you settle for a lot of jump shots, you're going to have a, a lulls in games. Like the elite teams find ways to get easy buckets. And really, if you're good at running the pick and roll, you should be able to throw a lob maybe once or twice a game. Just Just think this. Blazers probably had like five free throws against New Orleans. Boogie had ten himself. Like we don't go to the line, so that take that out of the. The only way we get easy buckets is copiousness. It's Ed Davis cleaning up the mess. It's Noah Vonley cleaning up the mess. So definitely getting easy buckets. I don't know if lob is the way we get those easy buckets. Chase also wants to know. What is Noah Vonley's ceiling? I've said a Buck Williams type with first team all defense. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously he's benefiting hugely uh, by playing next to Nurkic, and he and Nurkic as a defensive tandem is really helpful. I think that he could be better if we got more consistency from the three spot. Um, you know what I mean? So I think defensively he's playing as good as we need him to. Um, I think offensively, I don't think he's there. I don't think he's got, he's totally comfortable yet in the offense yet, but I think he could get there. Um, yeah, I mean, what is he, what is he, what is he averaging now? Like he, well, he doesn't shoot the ball that much in a game, which he probably shouldn't be. Um, no Vonley attempts where he attempts under four shots a game and a lot. And some of those are probably coming from offensive rebounds. Um, yeah, I think there's room for improvement. Given the roster that we have now, I don't know if he'd ever be obviously a focal point in this offense ever. So it's it's going to have to be, like you said, Dustin, he's got to play good defense. You want to get yours on offense, you know, set good picks, roll to the basket, and if you're open, they can give you the ball. Otherwise, you're going to get them from putbacks, which he has been doing. Do you guys think, and this is another question from Chase Will Nurk ever develop a con- a consistent three point shot? I don't see it. Given he just doesn't have consistent form. Every like if you watch Nurk, every time he shoots a jumper, it looks a little bit different every single time. I don't think he has that muscle memory. It's already a little bit inconsistent from about fifteen feet out. I don't necessarily know if I want him out at the there three point line. I don't want no. him out in the three point line. No, he doesn't need to. Yeah, you don't, don't need yeah. your. I mean, Marcus All can hit from three, but wouldn't you re- rather have him in the post, in the mid re- post? I, I don't want him to shoot threes. I'm I'm fine with him shooting some middies. Just stay there, homie. Just stay there. Well, I'm looking. He hasn't even hit one this year. Yeah, no, I I I don't see a reason why he should. And obviously, he's only. It looks if this is correct. He's only sh- attempted five threes this year. He's missed all of them. Um. No, I don't think that there's, I, I think that certain players at that size, you know, we've tried to develop Myers into be a three point shooter. That's kind of the hope for him. But with Nurk, I don't even, I don't think that they should even entertain the idea of developing him into a three point shooter. So Jared H, aka at Nervous Orca, wants to know is there any way to get better and more consistent role players in Portland without trading part of their core? 
He's been trying to think of one, but bad contracts and performances from some of the quote-unquote assets that we have signed make that look impossible with all players except Ed and Chief. I know we touched on this a bit, but I'm hesitant to say that no, we, we don't really have a way of getting consistent role players unless we trade Ed or Chief um, or utilize the the TPE we yeah, got that in beautiful, the beautiful that that beautiful trade yeah I mean that that's a de- definite way you can get a talented player are we willing to pay for it I don't know probably I would love to, I would love to see Neil use that that's a creative way of getting an asset and it's only one year where we can potentially do it yeah and then my point of view is kind of what you said Dustin but more emphatically like no I don't. Unfortunately, outside of Dame, CJ, and Nurk, um, we kind of went through it earlier, but the play, th- this roster is very, it's a very flawed roster. Um, a couple off seasons ago, it's starting to show even more now that it was a, not a good off season with this. I mean, the three signings that we had were Evan Turner, who we overpaid, Myers Leonard, who we probably shouldn't have given a contract to. And then Maurice Harkless, the contract looked good at the time, but he's just fallen off this season. Well, and then we and matched AC. Alan, yeah. and we matched Alan Crabb. That is not a good offseason. And I know it was frustrating. You know, it's been said a million times that Olshay figured that he could land a big name free agent. And then he came to the realization that free agents don't want to sign here. And he kind of panicked. Um, it's unfortunate because it's affecting us now because now you've got, I mean, you can't trade Myers Leonard. No one wants Myers Leonard. Um, Mo Harkless would be hard to move. No one wants Evan Turner's contract. No one wants that. This year, no one wants it. Maybe next year at the trade deadline, when he, then he has one year after that. Um, I think no. the long-term solution for Portland is patience. Um, we've made our bed. I think we have to start cozying up and start realizing we're going to have these players for the next two and a half seasons. I, Portland, as you said, Evan, is not a free agent destination, and first-round picks um, traditionally are how Neil butters his bread. And I, I think Portland's going to have to continue to build through the draft and just be patient because sooner or later, those contracts will come off the books and you won't have to pay a penalty for that. If we're smart with our money through the 2020, 2021 season, while we still have Damon CJ locked up, we'll have a lot of money on the books or off the books so that we can take in a, maybe a bad contract and take, take back a pick or trade for somebody like, um, what did Brooklyn do? They took on D'Angelo Russell uh, because they were able to take on Timothy Mozgov's contract. So there's there's ways for Portland to get crafty with 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 the trades, and I just think it's important to to preach patience at this point because that to me is is the only route. And I know this isn't a question that I saw come up, but it's one I've been wanting to ask Sage for quite a while, and it's great that you're on here too, Evan. Should Portland max out Yusuf Nurkic this this summer with if a team comes to him as a restricted free agent and offers him a max deal what would you do right now um I'll go I absolutely max him I think you have to uh, it, it, it right if you're saying right now if he if by the end of the year he's healthy and if a team, I think you have to max them. We, we see year after year that players on their own don't want to come here. So we've had to build people, you know, the players that we've had, LaMarcus in the past, you know, starting with like Brain and Roy, LaMarcus, now Dame, CJ, those are guys we've drafted. 
they've had no choice. They get here. We pay them. Um, I think a guy, Yusuf Nurkic, I think has done enough, but I don't think you can let someone like that just walk away knowing how hard it is to get players like that in Portland. You kind of put a, a I feel like you have to. I, yeah, I don't yeah, feel I good about to. it. I don't feel good about it at all. So are you saying this is essentially a, a Joe Johnson situation in Atlanta where you're a meddling team sixth in the East and, you know, you got Josh Smith and Al Horford and, you know, you just have to bring him back because what would you do without him? Well, it turns out. So that's the, that's why I want to talk about it, because everyone keeps saying you have to do it, but. You what's don't the ceiling have to. in it for yeah? What's no. the ceiling in it for Portland? Are we all of a sudden assuming that that Nurkic is going to bring us to you know the conference finals, the NBA finals, or is it just going to be more dead contract weight? Like I think we really have to weigh the pros and the cons because yes, obviously on paper he makes us a much better team, but he's still very inconsistent. He commits lazy fouls, lazy and passes. Lazy passes. He does not have a back to the basket game. He just flicks shit up there. One night he's amazing against the Joker. The next night he's invincible. Um, invisible. Mark Mark Gasol. Invisible against Mark Gasol. Oh. So I I don't know. And at the beginning of the year, it would have been like, yes, I'm maxing out Nurk completely. So right now I'm in that I don't know phase with him because I thought he was the X factor to the season. I thought his health would take us to really easily the third or fourth seed in in the West. And with the way the West is going right now, so if you would have told me that, you know, Gobert gets hurt, Millsap gets hurt, OKC struggles off the bat, Minnesota struggles off the bat, uh, the Clippers are completely out of it, the Grizzlies lost Conley and their coach. I'm like, there's six teams right there. Kawhi hasn't played yet. There's seven. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're way ahead of the pack given our schedule. And I'm not blaming this entirely on Nurkic, but I, I do think that it's more of a debate than maybe we want to admit. Here's big men right this second. There are plenty of teams that want to trade their big man. DeAndre Jordan, there's rumors he gets traded. I mean, Robin Lopez, uh, Nick Vucevic. There are players that we could potentially trade for in the market for like maybe a first-round pick and some useful-ish players. So, no, we don't have to. But if Here's I were to bet, I bet you we do resign him. Here's my counter to that. Um, right now we have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in their primes. Maybe CJ's not you know, peaking in his prime, but they're in their prime. They both love Yusuf Nurkic. If you don't sign him this offseason, we're probably not going to bring anyone in. And you say, okay, we build through the draft. You know, We drafted Caleb and Zach. And maybe one of those guys pans out. It's going to take him a few years. But then at that point... Damon and CJ are starting to approach their next contract, and then it start, you start to think, like, man, do I want to stay here? Because you got to think, I mean, Damon and CJ, at least at this point, by all accounts, they love the guy. Like they, And I think it, this is one of those situations where, you know, it's on the fence if you want to do it or not, but you also, in a small market like Portland, you want to appease your stars, too. I mean, what kind of message would it send if we got to the end of the year and they didn't sign Yusuf Nurkic? What, would it send, what message would it send to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum? So I think you're completely right, Evan, and and I want to see this work out. I, I want to win with Dame and CJ and have Nurk be a part of that big three. But let's say Portland goes 41 and 41 again, and we have an uninspiring performance again in the first round. This pretty much looks like where we're at. We're just meddling, mediocre Portland Trailblazers 
just the, in purgatory and we are in the worst possible position. I think Nurkic is the first of many difficult questions Portland has to to answer. And I think I think it starts with him. Then I think it goes down to Damon CJ. Obviously, you don't want to move those guys. But if you have a healthy season of Nurk and you're 41 and 41 again, I think you have to look at making significant roster changes. And again, it comes down to being smart with your money, maybe acquiring more draft picks. It maybe requires hitting the reset button. Again, this is all hypothetical. We're doing this just for strictly debate, but I think there are some warning signs out there that this team could be just a 41-win team, and with how well they played towards the end of last year with a healthy Nurkic, that would be supremely disappointing because not coming from a Blazer fan, just from a fan of watching them play, Dame and CJ deserve better. I want to see them win, and I don't want to just keep them in Portland just because they're they're my guys. Like, if I don't want them wasting their prime years going one and done every single time. Like we we've been through that with this Blazer franchise before. I mean, hell, we made the playoffs, I think, 20 plus years. And I think only out of the first round, you know, a few times. Um, so we've always been kind of um, a team that is good, but not great and and not bad enough to get get those picks. So it's just a really interesting question that I wanted to throw out to you guys, and we'll continue looking at it maybe on a quarterly basis. Do you, I um, mean, because, I, I don't right. think Damon CJ will care about Nurk if they're competing in the finals, if he's not on the team. It's all about the the way we can compete. If it's with Nurk, I think they'll be very happy. But if it's with DeAndre Jordan being the center of the future, just throwing out a name, I think they would be just as happy. I'm sure they'll be yeah. friends with Nurk, but it's all about competing. And I, if, I don't think if, yeah, we, I don't if, think it's as easy. I don't think it's as easy as one player. Just I think that we're in the mess we're in because of the decisions that were made two off seasons ago. Absolutely. And I don't think I don't think it's as simple as being like if we flip Nurkic and we were ended up getting anyone else to replace him. I don't think that that catapults us to like a top three seed. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's. Well, I was going to pose this question before, just real quickly before we moved on. I just thought about this like revisionist history. From this offseason, looking at the situation in OKC and with the rumors out there that supposedly Olshay offered Kevin Pritchard in Indiana any of our players outside of Dame, CJ, and Nurk and our picks for Paul George, how good do you think that we would be if Paul George was our starting three with those other three? Uh, I think we'd be right on Golden State's heels. Obviously, Golden State's a better team, but they're kind of in... 93 bowls territory where they've won essentially two out of the three championships. Yeah, they don't really give a shit about free eight, or the regular coast, season. Yeah. They're coasting right now. I think we'd be easily the three seed. Um, you pair Vonley, Paul George, Nurk. That's a d- defensive monster uh, up front. And then you've got Damon CJ. Obviously, there'd be some time to get acclimated, but um, I would I never forgive Pritchard for that. I would if, have done, if those rumors are true. I, I think pre- we would be pretty I bad. I think that's uh, – to start and then just start winning a lot and probably end up being the three or the four. I mean, it just takes time for a guy like Paul George to get meshed with CJ and Dame since they're so ball dominant. But I mean, yeah, like that, that well, our that, current the, situation, we have Pat Condon starting. So I think, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I just think about it and I get angry. Kevin, why did you do that to us? And that is, just kind of what it's like being a Blazers fan. It's like wrong place, wrong time. So you've got that scenario with 
with Paul George. I don't know if Melo makes us a better team, but Melo wouldn't come here. You've got the summer of 2016, which you're referencing, Evan, when the, the TV deal kicks in and the salary cap, for whatever reason, b- bumps up for everyone. Yeah. And now yeah. we're stuck with three restricted free agents coming off of a second round you know, competitive series against the, the Golden State Warriors. And we're all drinking the Kool-Aid. We're all thinking we're, we're great. And Olshay is kind of a victim of the moment. And you know, I try not to blame him too much for that offseason because it was just the perfect storm. But that kind of seems to happen to the Blazers more times than not. But to continue going on with kind of the 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 question and fire you know portion of the show, we have another one from from Rip City Robbins. She she has a really great question, um, something I've been wanting to to touch on for a, a while now. She says this team is inconsistent and unfocused. Does Terry Stotts have the fire to keep this team motivated every game, or is it time to bring in a coach who will light these guys up when need be? I I cannot imagine that Terry Stotts is telling him telling them five dribbles and shoot. Stuff like that. I just cannot imagine that that's what Terry Stotts is saying. I I think that this coach is what his players are, and that's some flaws on defense and stuff like that. I I don't think I think Terry's doing a fine job with what he has. Of course, I would rather have a different coach, but he's doing a fine job. I don't. I I I think it's on the players to be more motivated than just Myers Leonard and Shabazz being the only two players trying hard against New Orleans. I think it's on both. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I've been very vocal that I I think that sometimes people can be harder on Terry than he is. I think. Like I just mentioned, the roster that we currently have is very, very flawed. I think that he's done a great job of dealing with what he's been given and turning players into, you know, what Olshay's done with this roster is he's brought in players from other teams that basically couldn't even get on the floor for bad teams when either Noah Vonley, Shabazz Napier couldn't get playing time, Mo Harkless wasn't getting playing time. And Terry's helped turn them into, like, serviceable for our team. Um I mean, again, right now in our starting lineup, we have Pat Connaughton and Noah Vonley, two dudes who definitely wouldn't be starting for any other Western Conference, like competing playoff team. Um, I went back, I was looking back, I went back and looked at the roster after we switched over after LaMarcus left, Batum got traded and Wes and uh, Lopez left. And you go back and you look at the roster the next season, realizing that we won 44 games and made another first round. And you look at that roster he had, it is atrocious. Like our third or third, our third best player, you know, from night's night was either Aminu, Mason Plumley, or Alan Crabb. And you bring up a great point. That roster wasn't great. They were predicted to win 26 games by Vegas, but they played with an intensity and a chip on their shoulder the majority of the season that I have not seen since. I don't know if it's because it's hard to play with that type of intensity and, and just get yourself up for 82 games year after year. Or if it's they've just kind of got complacent under Coach Stotts, knowing that he's really never going to – there's no repercussions for their actions. So Sage, you brought up that there's probably no play for them to dribble five times and shoot. But if Terry's not going to yank them or put them on the bench, what what do they have to fear? And so I think there is a little bit to – I think there's a little bit there because – with Popovich, there's like, a, oh, my God, I fear the shit out of this guy. I better not fuck up. He's going to yank my ass right off the bench. I don't care if I'm Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Kyle Anderson. With Terry Stouts, you know he's never going to bench Dame or CJ or do anything like that to disrupt that. 
So I think he is a player's well, coach. But and counter, what, what about that Nurkic bench in the fourth quarter that everyone freaked out about? But I think that was out of that was out of pure stubbornness and stupidity. Big men have been the reason that have dominated the Brooklyn Nets. And we saw that when we went to Brooklyn and he had a monster performance. No one was playing good defense against the Brooklyn Nets in either game. Ed Davis sure as shit wasn't. He was trying, but it still wasn't working. I just I don't buy that to bench him for the entire quarter. So and it didn't really do anything. I, I I'm not the biggest Terry Stotts fan. So obviously this is coming with with a bias. I do think, like Sage, you said, there is both. The players need to come up. They get paid to play this game. Um, they need to have a passion for it. But th- there is something to coaching that the great ones always find a way to motivate. And that's why a great coach can work wonders with, with really any roster and why a lot of, of the elites are in the Hall of Fame. So I think Portland has a pretty good coach. I mean, just because I don't like him a whole lot doesn't mean I can't respect him and what he's accomplished. Um, our roster is flawed, and we have made the playoffs, so I do think he is an above-average head coach. I just don't think he is the coach that is ever going to win a franchise, a championship, as the man in charge. Well, and I want one more thing. Just one, and it's not a big deal. One more thing, and this goes back to the if you sign Nurkic or not. You've got to keep in mind when you're a small market team, you have to appease the best players that you have on your roster. You don't want to make them mad. At this point, and I'm not saying this can't change, but at this point, it's from all indications that Dame and CJ and those guys love Terry Stotts. And I know that it's like that might not be the best thing. You want a coach that can light a fire, all that, blah, blah, blah. But like still in a small market where you risk if you piss these guys off when they're, you know, their contract runs out and they have a choice, that makes it tough. Like, It'll be interesting. obviously obviously Terry Stotts is safe for this entire season. That barring some like twelve game losing streak in the middle of the season, if we're healthy, he's not going anywhere. But you know, if we start to see more laziness, because you're going to see it on the court from the players, if you'll start seeing if they're not trying as hard, which some games, I mean, I guess you know you can make a case that they're not. But if if that kind of trend continues, then yeah, maybe maybe it's time to move on. But at this point, from all accounts I've heard and read is that they love him. Again, yeah, it's all, it, all about competing. If Dave Fisdale comes in and lights a fire under them, they're going to love him just as much as Terry Stotts. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give it the season, but I think there might be just better options. I'm just tired of seeing this team come home and feel like they're overconfident after playing, frankly, just average teams on the road. And I, I, I know it's not fair because the players play just as much of a role in it, but the, this is professional sports. We all know that. You can't fire the team. You can only fire the coach to make a change. So I'm not advocating for firing Terry Stotts right this minute, but I do think if there is a good option in the offseason and Portland again kind of stumbles to the finish line or has a has an, a pretty poor showing in the playoffs, that I do think that question needs to be asked. Um, I know Dame loves him, but we need to start thinking about the team. And we really when, need to when start. Did, when did he sign the extension? Was it this last summer or the summer before that? Damian Lillard? No, no, no. Uh, Terry. <sighs> I think it was this last summer. No, that was Neil. Neil got the extension this past summer. I thought I thought Terry got it right when the summer started, and then Olshay got it later in the summer. I know, yeah, Olshay definitely got the extension this summer. It was May seventeenth, twenty sixteen. 
So this this last offseason. So no. So the twenty sixteen offseason. So Well last year was twenty sixteen, this is twenty seventeen. Well last offseason though would be still twenty seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry. No. No, no, no. We're good. It, it's about 10.56, and I think it is the perfect time to take a, a break from our wonderful uh, sponsors, but we'll get right back to uh, the hot topic. So for this week, we have a very special sponsor. It's actually one of my very good friends. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Evan McCarthy. What deal do you have for these lovely listeners of the Holy Backboard? Yeah, so uh, just a couple weeks ago, I designed some poster prints and having them printed up i've got one of damian lillard i got one of cj mccollum one of yusuf nurkic and one of rasheed wallace um they're going for 25 dollars, and that includes shipping on the website but for your listeners the holy back the holy backboard listeners i will do uh we'll do 20 percent off we'll do five dollars off it'll be 20 dollars for a print um at checkout just go ahead and type in hb pod and that'll get you the five dollars off per print all right, thank you, man, for supporting the Holy Backboard. We, I mean, you're, you're even if you're not on this podcast in a given week, you're part of this podcast for all the help that you've given us with the logo. I mean, you've helped me so much with my business. I mean, I'm very appreciative of our friendship and all the stuff that you've done for me and the the podcast. My man, that means so much to me, and likewise to you as well. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here with special guest Evan McCarthy. Evan, you recently designed four poster prints. What what was the inspiration for that? And can we expect any other retro blazers to be coming on to the market maybe for the spring season? Yeah, absolutely. So to answer the first part of the question, um, so I do stencil spray paint art. Um that can be kind of expensive. I do commission pieces. People reach out to me and they say, Hey, can you do uh, right now? I'm finishing a Tom Landry piece for uh, a guy's dad for Christmas. And that stuff can get kind of expensive. And, uh, I had enough people come to me and say, Hey man, you know, I, I love your work. I want to support you. Um, the commission pieces can get a little steep. So I thought, why don't I take some of my designs that, uh, I make and get them printed on like a poster print, which they're way more affordable way more practical for people. So uh, for the first batch of prints, I wanted to do, um, you know, the three current stars on the Blazers of Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic. And then honestly, I had for my printer, he's like, hey, man, you've got room to print one more, you know, economically for you if you wanted to do it. And I've had a Rashid Wallace design I'd been sitting on. And I'm like, you know what, it'd be perfect to do Rashid Wallace as well. So those are the four I currently have. Um, as far as, uh, more throwback prints, yes, I'm, I'm looking at obviously potentially a Bill Walton one. I really want to do a Brandon Roy one, who's one of my favorite all time blazers. Um, I, there's another Rashid Wallace one. I, I, I want to get to the point where I have a few Rashid Wallace ones because he's, there's so many iconic images of him out there that I love so much. But, um, you know, I mean, what do you guys, what, what would you guys like to see as far as I would go? love to see a print of the early nineties blazers, maybe of that starting five or the starting five plus uncle cliff. I, I just gravitate towards that. I would also love the hell out of 
a Bill Walton, maybe Maurice Lucas combo. Those <laughs> were some bad fucking boys in the post. I have been reading a ton up on the 77 team and man, Mo Lucas and Bill Walton, that's the, the greatest front line that we've ever had. And that would be a really dope piece. Uh, maybe you could probably even tag Bill Walton in that. He would definitely retweet that because I mean, the dude named his, his one of his children after, after Luke. So those would be my two, maybe more of a, a starting five plus a uh, dynamic duo. I love it. Yeah. I love that, it. That's motherfucker. You took what I was going to say. <laughs> how I <roll> age. <laughs> That's why I gotta think of creative shit. Cause you take all the good shit. <laughs> Alright, let's move into uh, some games. We got two games Wait. on the docket for. Whoa, 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 what? I'm trying to guilt trip uh, Evan into doing creative streams on Mixer. I know. I, I, I know Stu and all these people hitting you up on Twitter really wanna see some creative streams, bro. Oh, a mixer? Is that something where, like, I just set up a camera and... Yep, exactly. Because people... That, that would be fun. The issue with my stuff is... Um, and, God, I, the, the cool thing with my commission pieces I've been doing is... Uh, I've been shipping them, especially recently, like, all over the U.S. to, you know, people I don't really know. But what I do is I include all the stencils that I draw and cut. And it's... I think it's a lot lengthier of a process than people realize, especially when they get them. So the stick, what's it called? What's the mixer? Stitcher? M- mixer. Mixer. Yeah. Um, so it's a possibility. It might be really fucking boring for people to watch though. Cause like these take, it, yo, it, it takes a little while. People love that shit. I mean, Stu, one of the OG listeners, uh, broadcasts Tuesday, Thursday and Sundays on mixer. It's basically like a streaming site and people love seeing art being made. So I'm just saying, man. Maybe let, I'll yeah I'll start let, to brainstorm like let, ones let's that work make together, sense bro. For that. I I bought an ASCAP thing so you can play all the fucking music you want on your stream. So let, let's make that happen. <laughs> all right, yeah, let's definitely talk offline about that for sure. All right, now Sage, can we move into this week's slam games? I guess. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we got two games on the docket. Portland closes out the homestand uh, Tuesday night against the Washington Wizards and Saturday against the Western Conference-leading Houston Rockets. Sage, with John Wall out and Portland fresh off of that 17-point comeback over the Wizards, what will it take for them to not get themselves into that position? And can they finally handle business at home where they're just 7-6 and six on the young season? I think it, it it's really containing Brad Beal because that is the engine that powers that team. Of course, there's people like Otto Porter and Marquise Morris, but really, the person handling the ball isn't Tim Frazier. It isn't Tom White guy that I can't think of his name. It's Brad Beal handling the ball, and he is the engine that powers that team. So it's all about trying to stop that man. What about Otto Porter, though? Because he is a really talented big who now will be going up against Pat Connaughton, and he can post him up. So I think we still have to watch out for Otto. And you don't think uh, Al Farouk is going to take over that starting three position that game? I mean, until we see it, I have to believe that we got to go in there with our current starting five. I mean, I, I don't want to speculate too much, but it will be nice that we'll have Chief at our disposal. I, I just think these this is one of those matchups where we can't afford to have Pat Connaughton be the starting three just because of size. The size. I mean, Otto Porter 
is like a six eight small forward. Pat Connaughton's a smaller guard. I, I think it's time to see what Chief can do in as many minutes as he can give us. I mean, I know we want to have Pat in to space the floor, but Otto Porter shot 40% from three last year. He can hit the three, and he can just shoot over Pat Connaughton. What if I told you I was more worried about who's defending Bradley Beal than who is defending Otto Porter? Because even when he got cold down the stretch when Portland made their run, Brad Beal was getting some amazing looks, especially on that that final shot. So who, CJ got into foul trouble, and Pat had to guard him. You know, bless Pat Connaughton. He, he busted his ass, but... Bradley Beal was getting any look he wanted, and he's the type of guy who could take over a game. So I, I am more concerned with, with who who is going to, to guard uh, uh, Bradley Beal. Uh, Evan, what will you be watching in, in this matchup from Portland's side? Outside of our big three, who do you expect or who needs to have a big night? Yeah, I I would love to see Noah Vonley continue his aggressiveness, especially on defense. Um so I, I, yeah, I, I like what I've been seeing with Noah. So I'd like to see that. And then to Sage's point, it, it's going to be interesting to see now that Alpha Rukaminu is back because the length that they have at small forward in Washington between Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre, who Kelly Oubre didn't he have a pretty good game against us last time too? Yeah, he's hooping this year too. Yeah, so I mean, I think Aminu is going to have a big role, and it. it'll be interesting to see now that Aminu's back if Harkless even gets in. It, you know, it, it, you would think that Harkless would actually be helpful in this game to help defend yeah yeah so definitely at the small four position too um it'll be yeah i mean even though john wall's not playing tim frazier is a, a dude who loves to play against damian lillard like he gets up for that matchup and um cj and dame this year have played so much better defensively that i like i like it when we play teams that have guards that'll pressure them because i want to you know have them keep to be tested throughout the year to see if they can sustain the defensive that they've they've been playing. So my X factor will be Damian Lillard. I think, I think he has taken these past two losses and you can tell in the, in the, when he's being interviewed at his um, locker that he's, he's pretty down. He's upset the way the team has responded. Not only will he be taking this on his shoulders to really set the example, he's going up against his best, one of his best friends at Tim Frazier, who I think brings out, the best in him so i know dame cj and nurk all had great performances especially down the stretch look for dame to come out aggressive and set the tone and if portland is consistent and smart with running their pick and roll to nurkic and just living in that paint they will have they will have a good time and they should this is a game they should win by 10 Plus, and that's what I want to see. Without John Wall, Portland needs to bury this team. Will it happen? Probably not. Uh, I still think Portland wins by four or five just because this is the Portland Trailblazers and you really don't know what you're going to get with this team. But if they lose to the Wizards, the third loss in a row at home, this one without John Wall, I would firmly press the panic button. So I don't think we're ready to hit that just yet. I think Portland gets gets the very important W. Sage, do you have them winning? I do, and I think Dame Lillard's going to do really well. I mean, guards are getting bigger every game. They do more things throughout the game. Tim Frazier's still a little guy, and Dame can bully the shit out of him. He bullied Rajon Rondo, who's a much better player. He's going to bully Tim, who's just, he's a little, like, he's a smaller guy. (laughs) And then I I think Nurk could do do well against Marcin Gortat, who's just been so fucking bad this year 
when you said little guy, it immediately got me thinking to Tommy Boy when he quotes me. He's like, oh, he, he's just a widow guy. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, win or loss, what do you got? I mean, I think they have to win. I it, I, I think they're going to win. I think they have to. And I know we're going to talk about it in a second. But if you drop the game tomorrow night, there's a really good chance that uh, you're going to go 0-4 at home after just coming off the road going 4-1. and And that is not a good look. Wouldn't wouldn't beat going 0 and 3 versus the the inter teams and beating the Rockets just be so Blazers though? That, that would be, be the most ba- Blazers. Thing, yes, <laughs> peak Blazers, peak Blazers. 0 and 3. Oh, we're beating the shit out of the Rockets. <laughs> so let's dive right into the Rockets. They are 18 and 4. They've won seven straight. Nine of their past ten. They are an unbelievable 10 and 1 on the road. And Chris Paul is back healthy as of right now. It's working between the two, but we Happy. all know James, James Harden is more of a regular season player. This is a regular season team where they can get away with shooting 43-pointers and winning games because you're not playing seven-game series, the same team, night after night. So they are set up to dominate the regular season. This will be the first matchup. Portland has them on a Saturday night after three days of rest. I am actually really looking forward to this performance because Portland plays their best when I think they're challenged by a quality opponent. I think one of their best performances was against Oklahoma City. Now, I know mm-hmm. they're 10 and 12 right now, but the Thunder had that star power and the Blazers were up for it. And they were up by 18 points through the third quarter. They had to hang on for it, but they played extremely well. So they also did the same thing against the Denver Nuggets at home. They really handled it. So this is a team, when they're challenged by a good opponent, I think they're going to elevate their play. And I I think the Rockets come at the perfect time. Hopefully you get a nice win over a depleted Wizards team and you can close out this homestand with with another win. Yes, Vegas is probably going to have the Rockets as a favorite, probably rightfully so. But let's not forget Portland beat this team. Last year when the Rockets were clicking with the healthy Nurkic by going inside the paint. Yes, Capella is much improved. But I, I still—he's think still little. He, he, He's still. Yeah, even, he can't handle all that beef. Yeah, even thirty-five pounds lighter Nurkic is, is still a bull uh, rolling around down there. So I am looking forward to this matchup. Sage, what do you think the Blazers need to watch out for in terms of of Houston? I mean, they have so many. They have so many weapons. There's, they can't put a lineup out unless they just totally mean to. Where it isn't a good offensive set, so I get, I think they have to be on their p's and q's. And Blazers this year have improved defensively, so I think it's be very disciplined defensively. It's you can't leave Eric Gordon, you can't leave Ryan Anderson. I mean, like you just have to play disciplined. I, I don't I don't know if that's what the Blazers are gonna do tonight or that night. It's going to be difficult because any lineup Houston has, they're, like you said, they're filled with shooters, Sands, Clip, Compella, but. He can catch lobs. Yeah, they do what the Clippers do and they throw it up to make him a threat. So they're a very difficult team to guard against. So what I would do if I was Portland is I would watch your turnovers. I think you cannot give up any possessions to this team. They're just too good offensively. And I think you cannot get into a three-point shooting contest with them. Portland really needs to make this Houston team work on defense. They're not a great defensive team. They don't possess anyone who's going to lock you down. So if you move the ball 
and you take your time and you really take care of that basketball, you're going to have a, a really efficient night barring your shots dropping. I mean, I think that's given. Like you have to hit your shots to win games, but you can set yourself up to take better looks at the hoop. And I think it, just like the Wizards, you got to get Nurt going down low. You have to win the paint battle. Houston will only shoot a three or, or go deep into the paint. So Portland needs to win either one of those. And I think you have a better chance at winning the paint than the three-point line against this Rockets roster. Yeah, so no, I who, think who's going to be matched up on Harden? You take that, Ev. So before we get to the Harden thing, when I was looking at this this matchup, it's a it's not a great matchup for us because it's a team, a Houston Rockets team, like you said, defensively they're not the best, and they're going to want to try to hide Ryan Anderson on defense. And at the three and four position, we don't have someone that can make them pay for that, which is really unfortunate. Um, because I was thinking, it's like, fuck, do you start Pat Connaughton? Because then would they put Ryan Anderson on Pat? Because they're going to try to hide Ryan Anderson. I guess Ryan Anderson can just guard Bonley. Yeah, I mean, um, Bonley's not going to scare you going for 25. No, and that, that's what's so brutal about it. And then you've got, do you play Pat? Do you start Pat or Aminu? And Ariza is a good, de- he is a pretty yeah, decent he's a good defensive player. I mean, then they have PJ Tucker and uh, Lua Bamute who can lock up. Yeah, this is it's it's a really really tough matchup for the Blazers. Yep. Um, and then yeah, I mean, who guards James Harden? I, to start, I think it has to probably it's going to be Dame or CJ. I think Dame has been playing better defense this season. CJ, CJ. has as well. I mean, they've both yeah, improved. So it's it's going to be and again, just like I, I mentioned with the Washington matchup, like this is going to be uh, interesting to see. Um, we, we, you know, we've watched them at the beginning of this year and I know we played teams where point guards have been hurt, but this is a team that's got two, you know, all-star backcourt players and, um, offensively they're unbelievable. So it'll be a true test for the new and improved Damon CJ defense. It's, it's not a good matchup for us. Oh, is Dustin taking his shot? Yeah, we, this is the trailblazers. When you think they're going to win, they lay an egg. And when you think they're going to lose, they surprise and shock the hell out of people. I just think we're going to find a way to get up. We're going to actually have a home court advantage. It's going to be a shootout, but I like Portland's chances. I think you have to put Aminu in the starting lineup this game. I think he has to guard James Harden. I think you put one of the guards on Chris Paul because he's not going to beat you one-on-one, and you put the other one on Ryan Anderson. Rhino ain't going to post anybody up. Trevor yeah, Reese will. is not going to post anybody up. Ryan Anderson can post yeah. people up. And, yeah, and you, I, know, I, you know what I helps would let. the Blazers? We have, what, three days off in between games, so that doesn't hurt. The fact that we play Tuesday and then not again until Saturday, so that that's nice. I like that. Um, Sage, when did, if Ryan Anderson is posting us up on every offensive possession, we will win that game. Absolutely, but you, sa- but you saying that Ryan Anderson has the ability to post people up. I've s- That's what I meant, though. Sure, he has the ability. He's you know six ten, can shoot followy jumpers. But Chris Paul driving and throwing lobs to Capella or dishing out to Rhino and, and Ariza or James Harden dissecting the defense or Ryan Anderson posting up. I mean, I choose options, that, but I, I would probably put Pat on uh, Ariza if it was me coaching. Yeah, but I think you have to put your best defender on James Absolutely. Harden. And I you mean, can't put. Dame or CJ on him. This might be a one where Aminu probably, because of how much James Harden dribbles, I think he could probably do a okay job on him. I mean, there's no stopping James Harden, but 
he can do a pretty serviceable job defending him just because of how his length, his reach. And he's good at defending players that just pound that rock on. So I, I, I think Aminu is probably the man to, to guard him. What, hey, while we were while we were recording, did you guys see the tweet that Damian Lillard sent out during this podcast? No, I'm looking it? right now. What happened? Uh, well, well, Jason Quick retweeted it, and this is the original tweet to Damian Lillard was: "I swear, if Damian Lillard was in any other market, y'all damn well would appreciate his greatness like me instead of keep sleep on it." Dame's response: This is just a couple hours ago. I play the hand I was dealt, bro, but I appreciate you. For show, and then an emoji with palms up in the air. I play the hand I was dealt, bro. I don't know. That's an interesting tweet. I mean, you could take you could take a lot out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jason Quick retweeted it with the thinking emoji. Damien retweeted that that says, "Can I help you?" Question mark. Nurkic <laughs> jumps in and does the 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 face palm, and then Dame retweets that and says, "They trip a Nurk." LOL. So. I think it's much ado about nothing and just reaffirms that Dame and Nurk love each other. They are part of the three best friends with CJ and they probably do want to play together for a very long time. Um, all I know is we've been recording for damn I, I, I actually have one more. One more. Oh, gee, Jesus. Sakes. I'm sorry. Right. I just like hanging out with you guys. Wait, first of all, I said win. What do you guys think? Real quick. Rapid loss, fire. Win or loss, loss? Loss. 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 Okay. Fuck you both. Win. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, remember, was it last year that you predicted yes. a Golden State win and we both said lost? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, out, and Dane went out and scored like 50? Yeah. Yes. I, I think, well, it happens. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that – how do you feel about the booing incident with Myers? Do you guys oh, give a shit? we should talk about this for a second. No, we yeah, should yeah. talk about this for a second. Oh, oh, Sage, I thought we were going to be the cool podcast and not talk about it. Just quickly. <laughs> we can get into it. We can get into it, right? I just want to hang out with you guys. Right. That, that, that's why you're here. Um, so my take real quickly, uh, I am not a person that would boo. That's just not in my nature. It's not that like I'm holier than thou or better than some other fan. It's just, I would not do that. Uh, I do think there are instances where it's fine to boo a player. Um, I think like, for instance, a couple years ago when the Dallas Cowboys football Cowboys signed, uh, Greg Hardy, that notorious piece of shit. I think it's okay to boo him every time he walks out outside. I think that's fine. I also think it's okay for a fan base to boo a team when they're giving, they're not giving the effort that you know that they're capable of giving. I think that you, you know, like, for instance, last year in the playoffs, when James Harden in that elimination game against the Spurs, when he went like two for 12 and like didn't even show up, like he had he attempted two shots in the first half in an elimination game. Like, I think that's something like that where it's like, dude, what are you doing? As far as booing Myers, he doesn't fit either of those categories. So I, I wish they wouldn't boo him like he's a good dude and he tries. It's he's it's not his fault. Olshay offered him that contract. Like who's he's not going to turn it down. Yep. Evan summed up everything I was thinking. Myers tries hard. He may not be the player that we thought he was when we drafted him, but you can't fault his effort. He's always out there busting his ass for the most part. And I think it's bullshit just to boo him and not boo the team. Nurk airballed it right after he did. Why didn't Nurkic get booed? I, I'm not a big proponent of it. Unless, like Evan said, the team is clearly dogging it 
or if uh, one, one of the villains comes to town. So uh, I'm probably against booing, but... I boo. Um, I don't give a shit. Do you boo? You boo? I, I boo my own team, Dad. Of course I boo. Um, But, I, I mean, I don't blame anyone for booing at that point. I mean, if I was there, I probably wouldn't have booed that shot. But I, I think it was all the frustration of drafting him in 2012, thinking he was going to be great, and then just, you know... Myers. I mean, it's just frustration of the whole team. It's not just him fucking up at that one time. But yeah, I boo all the time, Doc. I boo yeah, Drew. It's just, not, it's just not my style. I just, yeah. <laughs> Dustin heard me boo Drew Holiday, the starting point guard of the Pelicans, a lot. That's great. I love that, though. That's That's... <laughs> hilarious i mean i think on that note let's wrap up the pod uh thank you evan for joining us thanks to all our fans for listening uh you can find this podcast at holy backboard pdx on google play stitcher soundcloud and itunes you you can subscribe to the podcast get it as soon as as soon as it's been dropped uh leave us that five-star rating or any comments on social you can find us at holy backboard on facebook twitter and instagram uh evan let our fans know once again where they can cop those dope prints yeah so the prints right now are up on evanem.com it's e-v-a-n-e-m.com if you could give me a follow on instagram it's evanempdx on instagram and also evanempdx on twitter i would appreciate that Yeah, uh, um, there should be about four new podcasts coming out in the next week and a half, so be on the lookout for that. It's called the Chill Factor Podcast. Oh, man, I have so much editing to do with that, just because of these dudes from Atlanta say some problematic shit that, whew, the views and opinions <laughs> of that, of Sage Digital do not necessarily represent what they say. <laughs> Because goddamn, but you know, it's a different culture and I my shit talking has gotten a lot better since hanging out with you guys and then nothing but talking for people from Atlanta. So I'm I'm, I'm digging the new more shit talking me. But yeah, check out the <laughs> chill factor when it comes out. Uh, we got four podcasts coming out. I just have to edit one's finish. But yeah, so just be on the lookout for the chill factor. All right. Uh, rough week in Rip City. Let's turn it around. Let's get two wins. Uh, don't listen to Sage and Evan. Portland is going to beat Houston. So once we record <laughs> next week, we can look back on this amazing 2-0 week that is about to become. Uh, from all of us at Holy Backboard and our wonderful guest, Evan, thank you for listening. And as always, let's go, Blazers. You may be. This is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!